The Apostle John loves walking with Jesus. It absolutely transformed and changed his life for those three years that he got to, well, hear Jesus preach and, and watch the miracles and to be able to see how he interacted with each of the disciples. And so John is older now. He's really, really old. He, he's been a pastor for over 50, 55, 60 years. And this is near the end of his life. And his love for Jesus is still contagious. And all he wanted to do is make sure that his children, his friends, the folks that he had influence over, would walk with God and experience the joy that he had. But his children, his flock, needed to understand a few things. And so in 1 John, starting at chapter 1, we read right from the beginning that God is light and that God cannot tolerate darkness. That God is holy. That God is pure. That God is clean. And that sin is darkness and keeps anybody from a relationship with God. As so many of us put sin in categories. I get that. Well, there's this little sin and there's this really, really big sin. But no matter what sin that we all commit, it offends God and, and God is holy. So also in the first chapter, John sets it up how we can, well, reestablish a relationship. He says if we confess our sin, if we own our sin, if we admit that we sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us, to reconnect that relationship. And that obedience enables and continues the relationship. Obedience also shows your love for your dad, for the father, and enables you to live like Jesus. That's how we ended in chapter 2 last week, if you're with us. Pastor John continues to help us understand what living in the light looks like, or what walking with Jesus looks like, because we know that's critical. So before we jump into our text today, Let's pray. Father, this morning, we come before you because we need you. We, we hear your word. Your word is precious. Your word is, is life-changing. But there are some parts in your word, Lord, that we wonder about. We want to obey you. We want to spend time with you. 
And we want to live just like Jesus lived. But God, even that statement overwhelms us. We, how do we forgive like Jesus? How do we love like Jesus? How, how do we serve like Jesus? How do we not hold grudges like Jesus? How, how do we love those who are so opposed to us, our philosophies, our world perspective? Because Jesus did that. He loved sinners, but he hated sin. And God, we as Christians, we don't often have a good reputation. So I'm sensing we, I, don't live like Jesus, at least at times. So as I started off my prayer, we need you. We need you. We need you to change us from the inside. We need you for the power that you've promised us. And as we open our text today, we need you to teach us. Lord, there's so many different churches, not only in this area, but all over our world, who are proclaiming your word today, who are caring for their flocks. I pray, dear Father, for connection and Northbridge and actually both of the redemptions, Redemption Bible Church and Redemption in Belvedere. Father, these are all converged churches who are preaching good news and equipping the flock. I pray, Father, even those are all over the world, our missionaries today, Tony and Ulta, who are serving in Albania, they're faithfully making disciples, they're able to infiltrate through the college scene, and God, we are so grateful for their faithfulness, and pray even today you would encourage their hearts. We pray for the kids who are downstairs and their teachers who are teaching about you, opening up God's word and sharing with our kids good news, things that will change their lives, even as young people. God, we are grateful, and we ask you to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you turn your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 7. I'm just going to read verses 7 and 8 to begin with, although we're going to go through this text all the way through verse 17. We'll start with these two verses, and if you don't have your Bible, you can look on the screen behind me. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 7. Dear friends, all the way through. I, I won't give a commentary, I promise. But, but John, he just really likes these folks. He is so connected with them. He understands them. So he calls them children and friends and all these intimate terms. So, dear friends, he says, I am not writing you a new commandment for you. Rather, it's an old one. You have heard from the very beginning. This old commandment, to love one another 
is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment. And John writes, you are living it also. For the darkness is disappearing and the true light is already shining. The commandment, something you've not only heard, but have been taught perhaps and even taught it over and over and over again. A principle not only shared with us in the Older Testament, but all the way through. Love one another. This commandment has been around forever, rooted in the law and taught faithfully. But you have also heard that Jesus gave this commandment and showed us how to love one another. So it is new in conversion to us and maybe a new depth because of our relationship with Jesus. This loving one another command is a new experience, emphasis, expression, and endurance. The command is as old as the sun and new as the dawn. John is describing something that is fresh in essence and quality, but not necessarily chronologically new. Christ's command to love one another is strengthened, deepened, expanded, and given a depth of meaning and understanding. Never before Jesus, the God-man, illustrated it. John is so grateful because that same kind of supernatural love is being seen and experienced in those who love him and abide in him. Those friends, those folks he's writing to. In fact, this is a gigantic billboard just saying, you guys are doing really well. Jesus showed us how to love one another and you are loving one another. Oh, that had to make them feel good. They were making an impact, a difference, a kingdom impact. You see, loving one another finds concrete expression in the daily life of a believer who walks with Jesus. This love was modeled by Christ while he was here on earth. But the question really comes up, what does loving one another look like? Well, I think the best way to look at this might be to open our Bibles back to John, John's Gospel. And we're going to go to John chapter 13, and you can turn your Bibles there if you would. And this happened at what we would call the Last Supper. So many of you are, understand this part of the Scripture, but, but John spent a whole lot of time in chapter 13, all the way through chapter 17 of John, to be able to describe well, probably the last actions that Jesus had on this planet before he was crucified. He had his disciples surrounding him. He knew that this was just moments before he would stretch out his hands voluntarily and spill his blood. These words were important. They were critical. And so before he even starts teaching with his words, 
So many of you know this. John 13. And I'm going to start at verse 4. John 13, verse 4. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel he had around him. So many of us look at this tradition or, or even understand a little bit of, of how important this is, but uh, we probably don't get it all. There weren't servants that would do this. Only the lowest of low servants would be assigned this task. Jesus, Son of God, Creator of all, decides I'm not going to preach right now. I'm going to act. And he gets up. And he gets into his work clothes. And he pours water into a basin. And he goes around washing the disciples' feet. To say it was shocking is an understatement. The disciples honestly didn't even know how to respond to this. What? You're rabbi. You're God. You're king. Why are you washing my feet? We go down to verse 12. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and said, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's what I am, Jesus said. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Again, a shock to every one of the guys sitting around the table. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, I know you did it. You know, you're a really nice guy. Is this what you want me to do? Really? My assignment is to go wash other people's feet. You can read this narrative, but I'm going to jump to verse 34 or 33. And, and this is what Jesus says. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but can't come where I'm going. Verse 34, so now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love one another or each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In fact, you don't even have to talk about it. This is going to be so insanely crazy. Nobody does this but the dregs of your household. Nobody washes feet. Nobody serves others like this. Do you get it? 
you do this, you will stick out like a sore thumb. But I also want you to know it's going to please Jesus. Yes. That is going to please our Lord. Love is sacrificially giving up your life for one another. And when you do, others will know that you are Christians. You are God followers. You are part of my family by how we treat others. How you treat your wife. How you treat your family. How you treat God's family. How do you treat your wife or your husband? Would someone, a neighbor, who was in the household, would they see it differently? Would your words and your actions honor your spouse that would be shocking to the world? What about brothers and sisters? Don't they get on your nerves? Oh, my word. Really? But in households, would even little children who who walk with Jesus have the capability of being gracious to one another? of being kind. Oh, uh, they're just brothers or sisters. I get it. But there is something about walking with Jesus that gives us the power and authority to love our measly little sister. Even when she's a jerk. Which I'm sure never happens. And what about God's family? Sacrificially loving, serving, meeting needs. You see, a loving community is the greatest billboard for the gospel. Let me say that again. We may love to be evangelists. We may want to tell others the good news that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago to restore a relationship, to pay the debt of our sin, to satisfy the wrath of God. All true. But you read through the scriptures and one of the greatest billboards in your neighborhood is someone who doesn't know Jesus walking into this family. And seeing how you treat one another. So different than how they would be treated outside these walls. It would be appalling. It would be shocking. I'm not talking about just being friendly. I'm talking about you serving one another in supernatural strength. That it seems absolutely odd. The kindness and the graciousness that you would extend. Let's look. First John chapter 2. Look at verse 9. First John chapter 2, verse 9. Oh. Hold on, hold on. We have enough time. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians 13. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13. Here's the Apostle Paul. That was Jesus describing a little bit in John 13. Um, Now we're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Often a passage that's used at a wedding because at weddings we want to talk about love. That is awesome. But what the Apostle Paul here is not necessarily just talking about love between a man and a woman. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, which is entitled the love chapter, is sharing with, well, a church that's a little bit ornery in fact. A church that's very filled with divisiveness. A church that we would call really carnal. And the Apostle Paul just says this, hey, I want to describe to you what love looks like. You guys are not getting it. But when you walk with Jesus, this is how you treat others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, look at verse 4. Love, love is patient and kind. In other words, when you walk with Jesus, you are patient and you are kind to others. It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Rude. It does not demand its own way. When you love someone, you are not always demanding what's best for you. It is not irritable. You don't wear crabby pants. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Who does that? Don't you have a mental list every time your wife doesn't do something? Ah, I'm just going to wait. It's just going to come to the boiling point because one more time, (laughs) I got you. And I will list all 14 times. And how does that make her feel? And boy, it sure makes you feel good, right? (laughs) Told her. Love as you walk with Jesus, does not keep lists. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Wow. Love one another like that. Now let's go back to 1 John. 1 John chapter 9. Sorry, chapter 2, verse 9. If anyone claims, John writes, I am living in the light but hates. Whoa, this, this is just strong language. But hates a fellow believer. And I also want to say this. When we read this, most of us will say, well, I don't hate anybody. And you might not. Except your definition of hate and God's definition of hate may be a little different, that's all. Okay? But here it is. If anyone claims I'm living in the light but hates his fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by the darkness. 
Once again, if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you find out, oh, the Apostle John, Pastor John, you don't mince your words. He says this, if you say, we say, if Christians say we are walking in the light or we are walking with Jesus, but hate a fellow believer, you are living in darkness, actually you're apart from God. Hatred here could be hyperbole, just literally meaning love less. But I think in this context, it more likely means a form of rejection. Hate is a strong word no matter how you try to define it. It means you are rejecting another by not sacrificially giving up your life for your brother or your sister. In other words, John said this, if you love a fellow believer the way that Jesus taught us how to love others, you are living in the light and you're not causing anybody to stumble. The evidence or the fruit that you are walking with God and responding to the Holy Spirit is your love, my love for believers and the community of God. When you love this way, you don't cause others to stumble. You don't cause others to sin. Different camps aren't formed within a church, or cliques don't exist, or communities aren't divided. So anyone who hates a fellow believer is living and walking in darkness. In fact, John's language is so strong here. He, he says this, in fact, that person is blind. That person is blind and doesn't know the right pathway to travel. John shows the strongest possible contrast between those who are in the light and those who are in the darkness, between those who love and those who hate, between those who are children of God, and listen to this, and those who are children of the devil. We're going to get to this in chapter 3, verse 10. It's really clear. So verse 9 essentially says, if you say you're in the light, experience the life of God, and you hate your brother, only one conclusion can be drawn. Your words are just words. My words are just words. I'm just talking, well, just talking. Because John says, you are in darkness and you belong to the devil. Whoa, that's a strong, strong statement. Not here to beat up anyone, but just to be able to say, hey, this is what God is saying. Verse 10 provides the contrast. Anyone living in the light loves God's family and doesn't cause others to stumble. They're unifying, not bringing disunity. And then verse 11 returns to those who are in darkness. and says, if you continually hate your brother, three things are true. If you hate your brother, three things are true. First, you are living apart from God and you are in darkness. Secondly, you walk blindly. There's an absence of God, which means an absence of love in your life. 
And I don't know about any of you, but walking around in the dark is never a good idea. Maybe if you know your house really well, or if you know your bedroom really well, and, but it only takes someone to rearrange the furniture once. And tragically, the ones not connected with God often don't see it. And this is the hard part. This is why groups are so important. This is why families who walk with God are so important. Because when we don't walk with God, we're not seeing it. And we need lovingly, we need people lovingly putting their arms around us and saying, you're not seeing it. Because those who are blind have no idea where they are or where they're going. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. John writes this. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Verses 12 to 14 in almost every one of your Bibles should be set up a little differently because it's poetry and it's beautifully structured. And John actually changes gears just a little bit here. He wants to reach out to the church with affection and encouragement. I think he realizes that the words he has already shared in this first chapter and a half have been hard. It's been truth, but it's been hard. So I think he wants to change gears a little bit. And John is addressing his friends in terms of spiritual maturity. If we read this, it almost seems like, oh, he's talking to little kids, and he's talking to fathers, then he's talking to, you know. No, he's looking through the lens of spiritual maturity and not chronological age. So he says this, to those who are youngest in the faith, you know what's cool about you guys? You understand the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. Yes, you also know your father, or in the way I would put it, you know your daddy. This is so cool. I know you're young. I know you haven't walked with God well, but you understand some basics that will transform your life. To those a little bit more mature, you are strong. You are moving forward because God's word lives in your heart. Oh, it's so important for us all of us to be in God's word. It strengthens us, inspires us, encourages us. It convicts us. But John was so happy with these a little bit more mature believers saying, hey, you're listening to God's word. You're opening God's word. You're living in God's word. And then he said this about this same group. You fought and won a battle against the evil one. You recognize that life is hard and that each one of us are in a spiritual battle. Then he says to the most mature, 
most mature. You know about Christ. And you know Christ. It's so cool here because it talks about you, you know Christ from the beginning. You understand doctrines. You're going deeper. You not only spend time with Jesus, but you know a lot about Jesus. And what's unique, and most of you know this, have been part of this church, is that John actually repeats himself, not because he's senile, although you might be fading a little bit, but this is God's word. He has mentioned it because it's really, really important. Now let's go for the remaining verses, at least in our text for today, starting in verse 15. John writes, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. And when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. You know, at first glance, verses 12 through 14 don't seem to fit in to verses 15 through 17. They just don't seem to go together. However, after a closer inspection, you're going to see they complement each other beautifully. Verses 12 and 14 provide what I would call the encouragement necessary to, well, hear this exhortation. Because John pumps their tires and then goes right into, again, another scenario that wants, well, he wants to protect his friends. He says, don't love the world, nor the things in the world. Now, worldliness or being of the world, I think is misunderstood often. Some identify it with cultural issues that are particular concern to us. When I was growing up, a very young man, a pastor's son, there were things in our church that our church would call worldly. Some of them were playing cards or shows, or dances. And, and what would happen is, is that at least the leadership in the church I grew up would, would put these categories and say, hey, these are worldly. These are things you shouldn't do. And this is what John is talking about. Well, the truth is, there are some practices, even today, that are quite worldly. And I'm not going to sit here and actually list them because I think we'll miss the point here. I, I think the point is John is telling us not to love or idolize thoughts or values or behaviors that are contrary to God's word. They're of a different world. God's word teaches us what's important. And we need to listen to that. There are things in our world, of course, that appeal to our sinful flesh and are fleeting and passing. But I think he's really clear. He says this, the world, the culture, 
the philosophies that go contrary to God's word, they will never give you what you need. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, the world can't give you what you need. Only Jesus can. The world can't give you what it promises in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. And the world cannot give you what will last for eternity. That's 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. Another way to look at this, and, and we'll use another scripture, one that's so very familiar with you. But Jesus taught in parables, and one of his most famous parables is called the parable of the soils. And so many of you know it. But there is a sower that goes out and throws out God's word. It's found in Matthew 13, along with other parts of the gospel. And this seed, which is God's word, lands on four different kinds of soils or hearts. One is very hard. One is very shallow, grows up quickly but dies. The last one, oh, it's good soil. And the seed goes in there and it grows and produces lots of fruit. But the third soil, third soil, so many of you know this soil. It's a soil that the seed gets in and the plant starts growing. But along in that soil are called thorns or weeds. And what happens here is that the nutrients are stolen from the good seed so that no fruit is produced. Uh, literally, this person grows but doesn't bear any fruit. Wow. You know, as I wrap this up, I'd like to tell you about Demas. I'm not sure if many of you have ever heard of Demas, or maybe if you read about Demas, really there's hardly any verses in all of the Bible about Demas. But Demas is one of the saddest stories in the Bible. We first hear about Demas in Colossians chapter 4 starting at verse 14, but actually he's kind of described in verses 7 all the way through 18. When you read about Demas here, he is working hard for the gospel. He, along with Dr. Luke, and Luke wrote Acts and Luke, the gospel. But they were on mission together, and they were serving alongside of each other. And he is listed along with nearly 10 others for their faithful service to Christ right here in Colossians 4. Now, we don't hear of him again until 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, to put it in the context, this is near the end of the Apostle Paul's life. He literally is expecting to be executed and martyred for Jesus. And in a comment, into many of us, maybe a tertiary comment, in verse 10, he says this, Demas has deserted me. That happens in ministry, does 
they've left. Maybe he's felt deserted. But this, I think, carried some tears from the Apostle Paul. Because Demas was a fellow believer. Demas was a guy that loved God, was in the trenches. He made an impact. But Paul looks back and in chapter 4, verse 10, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life. Some of your translations would be world. I think it broke Paul's heart. Paul was one all the way to the end, said, I love Jesus. Jesus changes people's lives. Jesus is worth serving. Jesus is worth getting to know. Demas, what's the deal? Demas, there's nothing in this world that's worth it. Do you honestly think money's going to satisfy? Do you think relationships are going to satisfy? Do you think all the power? Do you think the new job? Do you think the new wife? What are you thinking, Demas? And I don't know what Demas was caught in. I, I don't. I have no clue. But it could have been any one of those. We can learn from this unfortunate story of Demas. Don't let love for the things of this life eclipse your life for the Lord. Don't let a love for the things of this life cause you to chase after that which is fleeting and passing. Things just like in that parable choke out life. You look green. You look healthy. You look like you're making a difference. But there's no fruit. You're empty. You know, John, in my opinion, is good at simplifying the Christian life. It's inspiring. It's convicting. And oh, I hope you hear John's love for our Lord and his desire for each one of you to experience joy. Over and over, he's going to simply say, walk with Jesus and love others. It sounds awfully familiar to what Jesus himself told his disciples. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your example. I thank you for your love. I thank you for showing us what it means to walk with your dad and giving you power and authority to change a world. God, we are the same resources as Jesus did. And we pray today that you would give us the courage 
the understanding, the passion, the energy to love you well and love others. Because then (laughs) our, our love for the world will fade. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.